Today's reading is from Psalm 85. You can find it on page 595 of the Church Bible. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. You restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfading love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. This is the word of the Lord. When our vicar, Eddie, announced that during May we were going to have talks on revive, renew, um, restore, I thought, wow, I really need those talks so much. And then I found out that I was giving the first one, and I thought, oh dear. And the only way I could think of preparing was by listing, making a list of all the things that have revived my spirit over my life as as a Christian. And these things, and, and revi- not only revive them, but the things that I need to hear again today. And uh, you know, the, the best sermons are those where a preacher is actually preaching to him or herself. Uh, so I can't wait to hear what I've, I'm going to say this morning. But first, let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your presence among us. Once again, we ask that you open our ears and open our hearts so that we may hear and receive whatever it is that you want to give us today. Revive is a beautiful word. Uh, It literally means to bring back to life. Um, On our prayer cards, you will see that it's defined as a purposeful, on these cards which you all get, purposeful refreshing of our hearts. And that's exactly what Psalm 85 has done for nearly two and a half thousand years. Most scholars think that it was written uh, around the year 450 BC in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah when some of the Israelites were allowed to come home to to Jerusalem um, after a long captivity in Babylon. And uh, their dream of homecoming actually turned into a nightmare as they perceived the, the broken walls and the broken people of Jerusalem. Now, on Good Friday, we, re- we remembered another dream that turned into a nightmare. On that terrible day, the disciples knew nothing of Easter Sunday. 
And as far as they were concerned, the crucifixion and death of Jesus marked the end of the road. And it's into such hopeless uh, situations that Psalm 85 speaks. The, at the heart of the psalm is, are the words, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I don't know if you note, if you see the tone of, of, of hope and confidence in those words. It's a hope that, that revived Israel. Israel knew that God has intervened so often in their history and that he was going to do it again. And they will have remembered God's promises, uh, in fact, such as the an enormous and wonderful promise we read in two chronicles, which we often said during the pandemic. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will turn and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And we, God's post-resurrection people, can pray with even greater confidence because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We have a living hope and a sure confidence because Christ has broken the stranglehold that sin and and darkness and death had on each of our lives. This is the hope that the Apostle Peter talks about in his first letter when he says, Praise be to God our Father in heaven and our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new hope, a new birth and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into and he's brought us into an inheritance that will never perish or fade. This inheritance is kept for, for, for us in heaven. Kept in heaven for you. Sorry, I can't read my own writing here. But we today have our own individual testimonies, our own reflections of what God has done in our lives. And the trouble is we forget them when we're sitting in the dark, don't we? Much of my childhood was truly miserable, horrible. I was brought up by a, a loving but very unstable single parent. My early years were marked by a succession of great uh, calamities and misfortunes, culminating in the sudden and tragic death of my mother when I was just 14 years old. And then in my mid-30s, having already been a believer for some years, I met God again afresh. In fact, my wife Victoria and I both had a tremendous experience of him, uh, and we were spiritually reborn uh, towards the end of a, a Christian foundation course, very much like today's Alpha. And at that time, we had a real sense of the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that night, uh, any remaining bitterness or hurt in my life from about my childhood just melted away. Uh, as God showed me, the Father showed me his love for me and how his son Jesus had walked with me through those years and even sent people into my life that provided the care that my parents had failed to provide. And I know that if you've ever been in that place, if you've ever experienced that, that revelation of what God has done in your life, then you know, as I do, that Jesus is not the light at the end of the tunnel, 
but he's your light, our light, in the tunnel. And this morning, if you're in a dark place, maybe running on empty, turn to your Father in heaven and say, Lord, just fill me again. Ask Jesus to come into you, to shine his light into your darkness and to, to fill your emptiness with his life. Now, I could stop here. I should stop here, maybe, but I've got some minutes left, so I thought I'd use the remaining time just to share with you my battle, uh, my various battles, with prayer, uh, the Word of God, reading the Bible, and, f- and loving my fellow Christians. I, I mention this because I, it was triggered because last week someone said from here, from the front, you know, God has provided prayer, um, the Bible and fellowship to bring us back to life, to bring us, make us alive spiritually. And I thought to myself, well, what about all of us and the t- many times that I found it absolutely terrible to pray, where I found it difficult to read the Bible, where, in fact, I found it difficult to love my fellow Christians. So I thought I would race through uh, some things. I could talk about each of these for ages, but I'm just going to race through, give you a thumbnail sketch of some, some of the things that I've learned about Bible reading, uh, about prayer, the Bible, and fellowship. Prayer. Well, prayer is talking to God, isn't it? The trouble is that it very often feels like a one-way conversation. For a long time, I was reading to God in church. I was reading to him uh, out of a book or off the screen. Occasionally, I tried to make the words my own, but invariably, my brain was otherwise engaged. Um, Private prayer wasn't much better. I, um, it consisted mainly of asking God to fix my problems. And I knew, I realized that I was rubbish at prayer. And then I read and I realized that Jesus' own disciples were rubbish at prayer too. I mean, they watched him talk to the Father, converse with his Father in heaven, and they thought, well, they went to and asked him, said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And instead of giving them some useful tips, Uh, he taught them the Lord's Prayer, our Father. And the first step in my prayer revival, if you like, uh, is that I started saying the Lord's Prayer slowly, very slowly, just pausing after each phrase and thinking, what does that mean? What does it mean to me? And that was a good start. But then I ran into the acronym ACTS. Now, many of you know this, and please bear with uh, while I explain it for those of us who have never met it before. ACTS stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. Adoration is what we do when we praise and worship God in our songs. Uh, It is basically centering our hearts on God, affirming who he is to us, and our crying out for nearness to him, getting closer to him. And I found that uh, in my private prayer, of course, it was more difficult, easier in church, we're all doing it together. But in my private prayer, I found the, the last five psalms very, very useful. They all start, Psalm 146 to 150, they all start with praise God. And, and I would like you to I just praise the Lord, they start with. And I'd like to just read to you, uh, for example, Psalm 146, which begins, praise the Lord, praise the Lord my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praises to God, uh, to my God, as long as I live. 
wonderful words, and there are many more like that in those five psalms. Confession is telling God that we're sorry. Uh, we do it at every church meeting, and uh, we just ask for his forgiveness. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and I, I, for much of my life I felt much more sinned against than a sinner. And it was only when I was spiritually reborn that I was shown by God how much I was carrying around the burden of my past wrongdoings. And it is when I confessed my sins that I felt the burden lifting off my shoulders. And I know now that whenever we turn to him, our sins are forgiven. What he's done for me, I think he wants to do, or I know he wants to do for every one of us here today. Thanksgiving is basically, we've been talking about it, giving thanks to God for what he's done, for what he was received. Um, supplication is coming before the Lord with our needs, the needs of our own needs, the needs of our loved ones, the needs of the world. We've done that today. And, uh, but we're trusting. We do it with trust, knowing that God hears our prayers and that he will answer them. They're not always in the way that we expect or want. But have you noticed something missing in the Acts model of prayer. You know, we evangelicals are very wordy people. We, we rarely pause for breath as we go from, as we progress from adoration to confession to thanksgiving to supplication. And some of you will know and have noticed that what is missing is the word listening. A, a Quaker friend uh, convinced me of my need to also listen to God. As a result, I've now developed a little early morning routine which consists of reading a bit of scripture, saying, praying, <coughs> and then listening, just sitting there in the qu quietly, listening 10 or 15 minutes, usually with a notebook and a pen to hand. And I'm amazed by how often God has given me a, a word or a picture, for my, not just for myself, but for others that he's brought into my mind. But what about the Bible? Uh, I must confess that my own relationship to Scripture has not always been a happy one. Um, after my initial conversion, my coming to Jesus, I devoured the Word of God with great zeal, particularly the, the New Testament and Psalms. And then I hit a brick wall. Um, I'd set myself the task of reading the Bible from cover to cover, and I'd carefully calculated how many pages I had to read each day, and I started fine, and then I got bogged down in those, uh, in those old arcane Old Testament rituals and regulations and genealogies and building plans and directions about fixtures and fittings and priestly vestments and so on. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You know, it felt, I felt like I was, I was swimming through treacle. And I once joked to a, an older Christian friend, I said, you know, um, for me, picking up the Bible is the exact opposite to uh, picking up a good novel. When I put it down, I can't pick it up again. And fortunately, my friend, my friend was able to lead me to some more productive ways of reading scripture. And if you're interested, if you have this problem, then talk to me after church, and I'll share one or two of my thoughts with you. In fact, Nigel, sitting there, is very good at this sort of thing. 
Anyhow, the most important word that my friend said to me, or most important thing, sentence he said was, don't read the Bible like you read a novel. The Bible isn't like any other book. The, the Bible isn't a book that you read. It's a book that reads you. It holds up a mirror to life. And when you open it and read a passage, ask yourself, what is God calling me to? What is he inviting me to? What is he challenging me about? And, and, and when you do that, it'll greatly improve the Bible reading. I hope you find that helpful. I did. What about fellowship? Well, when we join a church, we are put alongside other Christians. And other believers are there, we are told, as God's provision to help us to grow in the Christian life. Well, I haven't always found it like that. The pandemic has affected our, 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 our fellowship. It has, but even before the first lockdown, I was telling myself, you know, I struggle sometimes just to love my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But you know, the saying, you know the saying, you can choose your family, but you can't, you can't, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And that's true of church too. We are put alongside all kinds of people. The St. John's family is a big one. And just as in any family, there will be, always be some people who get along with better than with others. And the Lord knows that. He knows that we can't sustain an unlimited number of close friendships. Now, the psychologists tell us, in fact, that we're not able, the, the average human being cannot actually manage more than about 30 close relationships at any one time. Of course, that doesn't mean that we should give up on greeting each other and um, learning each other's names and uh, even expressing genuine interest in one another over coffee. But that should not be the sum total of our fellowship. God has called us to something bigger and better. He wants us to be in a place where we can grow with each other. There need to be people that know us and that we know really well. And the only way you can do that is in some sort of smaller fellowship grouping. And this can take the form of a, of a home group or a, a prayer triplets or a sharing group, uh, sometimes a single sex group. And uh, even service teams actually can be like that. The, the crucial thing is that you get to know each other, that you can pray for each other, that you do life together. That's the essence of it. And, you know, inevitably, of course, there will be some fellowship groups that do better than others. And I found, I've been thinking about why is it that some are more spiritually alive than others. And I found that there are two elements that are needed for a, a, a fellowship group to take off. And these two things are, first of all, faithfulness, and the second is transparency. Faithfulness means, quite simply, being committed to your commitments. A fellowship group really takes off when all the members in the group make it a priority. They, 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 they agree to meet together every time the group meets, and, uh, and that's it. And it's only when then that together, working together with each other, praying for one another, getting to know each other, that we can actually speak into each other's lives with any degree of insight and knowledge. And, and, that's, and so each member of the group actually becomes part of, the, of, of, of building up the, all the others. And not turning up 
just because you're feeling a bit tired after a hard day at work or because there's a good TV program you don't want to miss, that's a way of opting out. It's a way of, it's tantamount to giving up on the crucial part that you have to play in building up the body. Faithfulness is a problem in the church today, but I think it's always, well, we know it's always been a problem. Clearly in the early church, the letter uh, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews was miffed by this flaky commitment of some of the believers in the church when he wrote, and let us consider how we may spur one another on, for, on forward uh, toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting uh, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's Hebrews 10, 24, 25. But you know, simply turning up isn't enough. We, a, 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 live, a live church, a live fellowship group also needs transparency. The trouble is that most of us are unaccustomed to really opening up to other people. Uh, but small groups should be places where we can let our guards down, we can speak, speak openly to, to our friends and let them speak to us openly and pray with us openly. In my experience, the, our women find this easier than the men do. We blokes get together. We will talk about football and motor cars and, and, and politics. In fact, anything uh, other than letting others know what's going on in our hearts and our minds and our spiritual lives. That's why our men's group that meets here on Thursday mornings at 7 o'clock every Thursday has adopted four sharing questions. And the four questions are, uh, what is most on my mind right now? Uh, what has been my closest moment to God since we last got together? What is the greatest sin or difficulty that I'm dealing with? And what is God teaching me? And around those four questions, we have gradually, we're not perfect by any means, but over time we've learned more about each other. We can pray for each other better. We can support each other and encourage each other better than we ever could before. Conclusion. Well, I'd just like us to remember what we've been talking about for the last few minutes. First of all, that we can pray with confidence, not only because of what Jesus has done, which of course is above everything, but also because we have, if we really ask God, he will show us how he has been at work in our own lives, and that should reassure us as we come before him. And then we talked about how we can be revived by our prayer life, by reading the scriptures, and by, by having fellowship with one another. And my prayer for this morning is that Every one of us here should, should know, be spiritually, and we should be spiritually, we should grow spiritually and be revived spiritually and grow in our commitment to God and to one another and turn every day to him who loves us, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.